Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here with Adina Trufinescu. Adina is a principal program manager at Microsoft working on computer vision. Adina, welcome to the Twimmel AI podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to digging into our chat. Um, We'll be spending quite a bit of time talking about some of the interesting computer vision stuff you're working on, in particular, the uh, spatial analysis product that you work on and some of the technical innovation that went into making that happen. But before we do that, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background and how you came to work in computer vision. Definitely. I have joined Microsoft uh, in 1998, so I'm a veteran uh, here. And I and I started as an engineer, uh, so I have an engineer background, not a research background. And then after spending like more of than 10 years as an engineer working on primarily Windows OS, I switched for program management and I worked on a bunch of products until eventually uh, I started working for um, in Windows on speech recognition. Uh, at the time, I was working on Cortana speech recognition. And then later on, I worked on speech recognition for HoloLens, the mixed reality device. Uh, And then for the past year and a half, I transitioned to computer vision. Uh, So I'm a program manager. I'm working with both the engineering and the research teams on shipping spatial analysis. And then spatial analysis, it's a feature of the computer vision service in Azure Cognitive Services. And then it just shipped as of this week uh, at Ignite in public preview. Nice. And any other year, I'd ask you, what's it like down in Orlando? Uh, Because that's where Ignite is historically held. Uh, I've been to the last several and I've done podcasts from uh, Ignite, but this time we're doing it a little bit virtually as Microsoft is with the event. Uh, But super excited to bring to our audience a little bit of this update from Ignite Tell us a little bit about the spatial analysis work that uh, you're doing there and, you know, start from the top. What's the problem that the the spatial analysis is trying to solve? So um, before I talk about spatial analysis, let me give you a bit of uh, background information about Azure Cognitive Services for Computer Vision, because it's important to highlight the, the difference and the novelty that spatial analysis brings. So the existing computer vision services are image-based, meaning that basically the developer passes in an image at a time, and then the inference happens either in the cloud or in a container at the edge. And then the result of the inference image by image is being uh, sent back to the developer. Special analysis uh, brings the innovation of actually running computer vision AI on video streams. So basically it analyzes live. It can also do recorded, but primarily it was designed for live video streams and real-time analysis of these video streams. And in this case, for uh, the purpose of understanding people movement in physical space. And then when you talk about people movement, we're talking primarily about uh, four things. The first one is the more basic scenario of people counting. So basically in a video stream, we run people detection and then either periodically or when the count of people changes, we provide the AI insight uh, indicating how many people. And then we have social distancing, which is actually called people distance, but uh, we call it social distancing for the obvious reason. 
reason. But basically, you can configure the desired threshold uh, at which uh, you want to measure the distance at with, between people. And then let's let's take the, the magic six feet number, right? So basically, the AI is going to detect the people in the video stream. And then every time when the people are closer than the minimal threshold, then uh, an event is being generated, indicated that uh, the minimal distance has been, uh, you know, has not been respected. So these are the first two. And then the next two are um, what we call uh, entry and exit of physical spaces. So to actually detect when people enter or leave a physical space, we have two operations. One is called person crossing a, a zone, in and out of a zone, and person crossing a line. So let's take the example of pers person crossing a line. Let's say that you have a doorway. So you can draw a directional line, and then every time the, the bounding box of the detected person is crossing and intersecting the line, then we can generate an event telling you that the person entered the space or exited the space. Awesome. And so uh, the context in which this uh, is being offered is a, you, you mentioned the comparison to the, the image-based services. An image-based service might be something uh, I'm using that to do object detection or segmentation of an image. I'm passing that to an API and I'm getting a result back where the service is telling me what it thinks is in the image and the probabilities. And this is extending that same general idea to, to video, essentially. That's right. And then we started with the spatial analysis for people movement, and we're looking to extend this to other domains, uh, you know, for other relevant scenarios uh, in the future. Mm -hmm. And can you give us a, an example of the other types of scenarios that folks might want to perform on video? So, um, you know, there are many industries where uh, this is relevant. So basically, you can think about retail, which currently is targeted towards this person uh, movement analysis. But think about like, you know, again, in the current events, like let's talk about like vehicle analysis. So that would be like another, you know, another kind of object that when detected in a video, then you can have like interesting AI insights generated and interesting scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, from even that explanation, I, I get that unlike uh, an image based service where, you know, generally the, you know, these work along the lines of ImageNet, where you have these many classes of things that can be detected, you know, toys and fruit and oranges and, and things like that. In video, you're, you're starting with very specific classes. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? Is it use case driven and that counting people and, and vehicles and very specific things are more interesting in, in video than counting random objects? Or is it more a technical you know, issue or limitation? Uh, it's not a limitation. So we started with uh, understanding people movement because uh, this is where the customer signal was. So I've mentioned retail. Uh, we also have many scenarios in manufacturing or re in real estate management. And also the current events was also informing our decisions on, on when to start. But the way the video pipeline and the detection models are being inserted in the video pipeline is fairly generic, which is why we're looking at enabling other domains in the future. So basically, uh, the detector model that we have for people today can easily swap with a different detector model for a different domain. Okay. Okay. And, you know, in thinking about the, the use cases, 
it, it sounds like the use cases that you are envisioning are camera-based video streams as opposed to I'm going to pipe in a stream of you know commercial television and ask your service to find you know anytime a particular can of Coca-Cola shows up or something like that. That's another use case that I see every once in a while, but it, it it's you know clearly it's not one you're going after at this point. Not, not for now, not for now. And, you know, speaking about the cameras, the cameras that we work with, these uh, are, we don't, we don't actually provide like a given model. So any model that supports the RTSP protocol, which is like the universal protocol, well, I shouldn't say universal, but it's a common protocol for video streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have like a camera or you can have like an NVR, you know, any, any video management system that actually is capable of uh, streaming uh, over the RTSP protocol. We work with that. Okay, and NVR being network video recorder. Yeah, that's right. Common surveillance uh, yeah. use case or technology used in, in that use case. Yeah, that's um, right. So basically, we're looking at not only at uh, greenfield scenarios where customers install new cameras, but also at existing cameras and existing video systems. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about this type of use case. Uh, it makes me think of something like a ring camera um, where, you know, maybe I can grab a Raspberry Pi or something like that and, you know, have it call out to the service, you know, put in a little USB camera on my Raspberry Pi and, you know, stick it by my door and kind of do a roll your own ring camera and have it count people that go into some zone or something like that. Could I do that with this? You can do something like that, but uh, the the device that we are uh, supporting and we have tested extensively for is actually a more of a heavyweight device. It's an Azure Stack Edge, so um, you know what? <laughs> yeah, lot, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the idea here is that this what we have in mind is actually these like spaces where you have like up to I mean I should you can have like dozens of cameras or you can have like hundreds of cameras. So imagine like a warehouse where you have, you could potentially have like hundreds of cameras. And basically we want you to have a way where you can deploy at scale and you can manage these cameras at scale. And then because a uh, video has this sensitivity around the privacy concerns and data control concerns, basically that's where Azure Stack Edge comes in, where you can actually keep the video on your premises and then uh, all the processing happens on the Azure Stack Edge device. And and then only the result of the, uh, which is the de-identified data about the people movement can be sent to the cloud, to your own service in the cloud, to your own, own tenant, and then you can build a solution in the cloud. Um, and then I should say, I should be more specific that the Azure Stack Edge device that we are running with is actually the one uh, that has the NVIDIA T4 GPU. So even, even a more departure from a, from a JSON Nano. You know, this is like the the initial release. Uh, this is the public preview, and then we are looking at extending the the range of devices and the uh, hardware acceleration capabilities for something you know lower, uh, <laughs> something less than Azure Stack Edge. Got it, got it. And for folks that aren't familiar, Azure Stack Edge is essentially a way. It's a pretty heavyweight hardware setup where you're essentially running the Azure cloud on your in your data center. That, that's the general idea, right? Yeah, that's right. 
And, you know, um, if you have like a small space where you have, let's say, uh, 20, 50 cameras, you don't really need something of, a, you know, of the extent of a data center. You need like a, a, a room, a server a room. Closet uh, or something like that. Yeah, a server closet uh, yeah. with, a, with a temperature, you know, reasonable temperature where you can run these devices. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to have to wait quite a while for this technology to be... Uh, democratized, if we will, to the point where I'm running it on a Raspberry Pi with a, a USB a USB camera. I would, I would hope it's not quite a while, but, uh, you know, not not yet. Not yet. And, and yeah. you know, I think in, you know, this day and age, I think we have to, you know, talk about surveillance and the, you know, the role of technologies like this in uh, enabling different types of surveillance use cases, some of which are problematic and some of which are, you know, kind of necessary in the course of, of doing business. What's the general take on making this kind of service available for those kinds of use cases? So when we release, uh, when we release special analysis, we had in mind uh, what uh, Microsoft calls responsible AI and innovation. So this is where we recognize the potential of harmful use cases. And then um, with this release, we also released a set of guidelines, of set of responsible AI guidelines, which had like three things in mind. The first one is protecting the privacy of the end user, uh, providing transparency such that uh, the end user and the customer understand the impact of the technology, and then in the end, promoted trust. And then the idea there is that we want to pass these responsible AI guidance and practices to our uh, developers uh, and our, uh, you know, the people that actually build the end-to-end solutions such that the end users, the people actually impacted by, by the technology can actually be protected and then the, the human dignity of these uh, people uh, is actually uh, upheld. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it sounds like even if I did have an Azure Stack Edge, I couldn't necessarily just turn on this service and do whatever I want with it. So we have a process from uh, that we take our customers through, at least for this public preview, where um, uh, you get access to the container. So um, I'm not sure if I uh, mentioned this, but we started not with an Azure service in the cloud, but with a Docker container that you run on your premises on Azure Stack Edge. And basically the container, anybody can download it, but uh, to actually access the functionality in the container, we want you to fill in this form. Uh, you describe uh, the use cases that you are considering for actually your solution and your deployment. And then we will look together whether these use cases align with the responsible AI guidance. And then, uh, you know, if they do, obviously you can proceed. And then if they don't, we will have that conversation to make sure that the responsible AI guidance is upheld. Okay. Uh, well, let's maybe shift gears and talk a little bit about some of the tech that you know went into enabling this. In order to do what you're doing, you're doing you know some kind of standard things like object detection, and you know is that this like fresh out of research papers, new techniques to do the detection and classification, or how did you you know what are some of the things that you're you're doing there and the challenges that you ran into in productizing this. 
So um, I think the challenges, they vary depending on the four use cases. So let me try to break it down and then address each one. So okay. for instance, uh, we are running uh, a DNN for people detection. Uh, and then uh, we started with something like more heavyweight, and then we had to transition because uh, of the performance concerns. Uh, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. But basically, we had to transition to a lighter model. Um, and like then a big ResNet and... So, so let's say like a big, big ResNet to a smaller ResNet. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. Uh, but the idea there is that, for instance, for something like people counting, initially for all operations, we started thinking that we can stream at 15 frames per second. Uh, and then we did that. And then we've noticed that, you know, to get maximum uh, usage out of that Azure Stack Edge, which is like quite heavyweight, right? We You want to run as many uh, video streams as possible. So basically we try to actually go as low as possible in terms of frame rate. And then for something as person count, the person count, you know, at you know from one second to another doesn't change dramatically. So for something like person count or a person distance, uh, we actually went from 15 frames per second to one frame per second. And then we were able to actually maximize the usage of the GPU because now the, the DNN runs at a lower frame rate and this way you can fit in more uh, video streams. The challenge uh, we had, for instance, with, with social distance, with person count, was actually a round of generating ground truth. So we made like a 10-minute video where not only, and let's say you have people in the video and you have to update the distance between these people. Just looking at the video, you cannot figure out like the physical distance between people. So that's, uh, that is where we uh, use synthetics uh, video data. So basically, we are using the same technology that uh, our uh, colleague teams in mixed reality for HoloLens are using, where we generate these game scenes where we can actually control the positioning of the people and and then their relative uh, positioning. And then we were able to generate this ground truth data such that uh, we can actually the robustness and the accuracy of algorithms tested and, and then brought to a level where we were satisfied with it. So that was the, the first challenge for uh, uh, for person distancing. The second challenge is that the DNN is going to tell you whether there are people in a frame, but it's not uh, going to tell you like the actual physical distance. So for that, you need the camera to really be calibrated. So this is where, you know, initially the initial thinking was that we will ask the customer for the camera height, uh, for the angle, for the focus distance, but that wasn't practical either. So this is where we had to actually come up with a calibration algorithm for the camera, such that in before the actual operations where the DNN runs, you know, for the purpose of the operation, uh, the, the algorithm for calibration kicks in, such that uh, we ask the customer to have like at least two people in the camera field of view, and then the algorithm runs for detecting these people and makes assumptions for their positioning, and this way the camera height, and the uh, focal distance are actually calculated. And then we pass it back to the customer as uh, output and make sure we want to make sure that actually that reflects um, the reality. But between like uh, ground truth and the camera calibration, these were the, the two challenges for person detection. All right. So just maybe taking a, a step back, we started out talking about counting people and uh, it sounds like there's some some research or work that went into getting from kind of this big heavyweight model to the smaller model. And and so that was one element of it. But also 
just fine tuning the end to end process in terms of how much, how quickly you're able to do it. In other words, what the frame rate you're using for counting people it, is that that was part of counting people. Yeah, that's right. It was this a uh, uh, kind of just an iterative process. Keep reducing the frame rate until you know things start breaking and you're not able to count accurately. Or you know, was that was that a you know something where you're building out models to tell you how low you can go or something? What what all went into that? So um, it was a little bit of both. Uh, it was like a constant uh, measurement of performance and accuracy uh, where, um, you know, in terms of frame rate, we would go like uh, lower and lower to the point where we can uh, maintain the accuracy and precision rates. Uh, and then, you know, you, you reach your breaking point and then that's how you know, you, you know, that you have to stop. And then when you have to stop that, um, I wouldn't say that this was exactly how it happened, but, you know, there is the constant, you know, when you talk about like frame rate and uh, and doing all these tests, this is where the engineering comes in. And then when you come like about the performance of the DNN and uh, the models, this is where research teams are making progress in parallel. So basically it was like an iterative process where bef- between engineering and research, they both work together to arrive to what seems to be like the best, uh, you know, balance between performance and accuracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as part of that counting people process, you've got two sub problems there. One is identifying the people in the frame. And then you also kind of have to know from one frame to the next, which person is which. Is that a part of the challenge here? Yeah, that's right. So see, especially for person crossing in and out of a zone and person crossing the line, uh, that's where uh, the tracking part of the algorithm comes in. And basically to be able to um, tell that the same person is the same person from like one frame to another, in addition to the DNN model, we are running a comb- combinatorial algorithm such that uh, detection is telling you that I have these people. And then by extracting features, um, we can actually actually run the the combinatorial algorithm to tell that, you know, from frame T minus one to frame T, we have the same set of people. And then basically, as people are detecting across the frames, they are getting this anonymous identifier, which tells you that, you know, there is the same person from frame one to frame 10, something something like that. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned extracting features to help the combinatorial algorithm. Are you kind of pulling those out of kind of the bowels of the the DNN or is this a, a separate pipeline or a separate flow that is identifying features in a kind of more traditional computer vision way? So we we actually pull it from the DNN and we have you know the the typical feature that you would expect like motion vector velocity uh, and direction in the 2D space and basically frame by frame we are looking uh, at all these attributes and then we're making this, the decision whether the same person is, uh, you know, the same person shows up across uh, the various various frames. Uh, and then I should say that um, each person gets an identifier and that is an anonymized identifier. Uh, basically, there is no facial recognition or anything of the sort. Okay. And then I should I should actually say that, you know, in, in our 
pursuit of like uh, performance. We started this process uh, at running uh, at 15 frames per second because in case of like, when you're actually looking closely of like how people, you know, moving in and out of a zone or cross a line, you know, the, the action of like crossing and the time the person crosses that line is fairly short. So we, we had to run at more than 15 frames per second. So this is where we initially started by running the DNN for the people detection every 15th frame, uh, still keeping it at one frame per second and running the uh, the association algorithm every frame. The problem that we had was the accuracy of, and the performance, you know, had all the typical challenges where the identity of the people will be switched or the identity of like two people will be merged. This is the fragmentation and merging, uh, you know, typical challenges with association. So um, if you don't actually run the detection on each frame, every time when a person is occluded or every time when a person disappears uh, from the frame or a, a new person appears, that's when you have like all these association problems of merging and fragmentation. So that was like another, another motivation for us to go to a lighter DNN for person detection, something that we can actually run each frame at 15 frames per second. Okay. Uh, but you mentioned that there are some parts of the problem that you do down at one frame per second. Right. So uh, so just to recap, a person counting and, and social distancing, we do it at we, we keep doing it at what one frames per second. And okay. then person crossing a line and person crossing in and out of a zone, we run at 15 frames per second. Got it. And the I, the, the main idea there is that for counting people and counting distance, it's not an associative problem. You're just looking at what's in the frame and right. it doesn't matter right. if someone bounces in or out you know, between frames, if they're not in the frame, you don't count them. But when you're talking about entering and exiting physical spaces, you want to keep track of who was already in the space versus who wasn't in the space in order for you to provide an accurate count. And so you have to, there's a bit more accounting that has to happen. And then you get these challenges with people, you know, disappearing because they, you know, were at the edge or something like that. And you have to, that's where you have to focus on these segmentation and merging problems. Yeah, that's right. So so imagine that counting people or social distance, not a lot whole happens in a second, but when you have a whole a doorway, so imagine that you have like a railway station and you have a doorway with where you know a dozen of people needs to pass through. Like at that point, like you have to run people detection like a higher frame rate such that you do not do not lose the people. Mm-hmm. Or do not, you know, or people you do not lose them when they show up and you want to lose them when they disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you, you you mentioned a bit about the training data challenge that you ran into there. And this is related to that last problem we talked about with entering and exiting physical spaces. Is that correct? Or is it? Yeah, that, that's right. Right. So this is where uh, ground truth was also uh, challenging in terms of like, you know, take like videos and these videos can be like, 10 minutes to one hour. And you could have like, depending on like which space are you using, you could have like few people or you could have a dozen or you could have like a hundred people, right? So annotating that data frame by frame at 15 frames per second, that's a lot of work. And not only that, you have to track that the same person from this frame across all the 15 frames times this many minutes is the same person. So that is like an impossible, I mean, it's possible, but you don't want to do that. Uh, You don't want to ask any human to do that. So this is where... um, If I can just jump in, if... 
if the network isn't tracking the people, but it's a combinatorial type of algorithm, is that a non-learned algorithm where you don't need to train on associating people or yeah, is, yeah. do you also but, need that? Yeah. So that, that is a, that is not a DNN. Actually, it's an algorithm and yeah. you don't have to train it. So yeah. what we are, what we are training is the people detection, uh, people detection model. And then uh, the, the testing is actually, uh, so basically we are testing independently first the, the people detection model. Uh, and then we are testing the tracking, you know, aspect of it. And then we are testing the combinatorial algorithm. So that's where, you know, the ground truth needs to cover all the use cases. But then the most challenging one is the one where you have to generate ground truth, truth that actually, you know, annotates, you know, each person and the identity, the anonymized identity of each person across the frames. Okay. Yeah, I, I was trying to make sure that you you actually had to track that because that would seem to make the the data collection process quite a bit more challenging when you're annotating the identity of folks. That can be, you know, if we're, we're talking about images that look like a overhead image of Grand Central Station or something, I would imagine that to be difficult for a human annotator. Let yeah, it's model. right. Right. So basically, this is where synthetics plays on the same role as before. Basically, we are generating all these synthetics videos where um, not only that, we want to make sure that is the same person across the most the, the the video, but you want to make sure that the padding of the people in physical spaces across the use cases is is most realistic, and then you want to annotate that. Uh, you have the different camera angles, you you have the different uh, the heights, and you have the lighting conditions. So basically, trying to go into the real world to collect all that data and then to annotate that data that was that would be a real challenge. So this is where synthetics played like a huge role and was like a huge time saver. Mm -hmm. And where does the synthetic data come from? Are we talking about, you know, did you take an Xbox game that kind of looked like it had people in a crowd and uh, try to use that? Or did you develop a custom data generator for this problem? It's pretty much like uh, it's the same tech. Like I said, it's the same technology that is being used for uh, for Hololens and for mixed reality. The same kind of the technology that powers the scene generation. Basically, it's it, we didn't take a game, but the concept is like very much game like, where um, you can overlay like an image of a actual physical space, uh, and then you can start like placing you know all these characters into the two actually into the three D space, and then just generating the video streams out of that. And then because you can play with the physics and then with the lighting, you can have like a, a great variation. And that is actually what we need to uh, assure the high quality of the AI models and of the combinatorial algorithm. Mm -hmm. And is, is that synthetic data approach also related to the camera placement approach that you mentioned? Do, do, are you varying the camera angle as part of the synthetic generation? Yeah, that's right. So basically, um, the goal was that the AI models, uh, so computer vision has uh, custom vision, and we want people to go and create, you know, custom vision models. But to the extent where 
they don't have to, and then we can actually save them time by creating these high quality models, which uh, perform great in all of these uh, conditions. We want to do that. So the goal there was that um, when we train and when we test, we test with data from all these like various conditions. So part of the synthetic data was to actually like the camera, the ceiling in a retail space is different than a ceiling in a manufacturing space. So this is where you need to bring in that variation. Okay. And from a customer perspective, are they, you know, sending you pictures from their camera and and you, there's a model that kind of figures out where their camera might be? Or are they, you mentioned that you don't want them to have to, you know, send you measurements or anything like that. What's the input to that process? So basically, we do not uh, collect data for, from customers and uh, basically um, any, you know, in the product, none of the video that, you know, is being processed is actually used for training. So the way we are approaching this is actually uh, visiting customers, looking and learning about their environment and basically learning about the parameters of the environment such that we can simulate it. Uh, and then we also create simulations of the real world scenarios, obviously not many manufacturing, but, uh, you know, something, imagine something like a store layout. Uh, that's something that you can actually emulate fairly easily. And then basically in that scenario, you have, you know, something where the camera is at 10 feet or camera is at 20 feet. And then you're looking at like the different angles and the different areas in the store where you want to actually apply the person crossing zone, person crossing line. And that's how you actually generate the, the synthetics data. Got it. Okay. And then finally, you you started to mention uh, kind of measurement and some of the challenges that measurements uh, pose for this problem. Can you elaborate on the way you scored these models and you know how you assess their accuracy? So uh, we applied the MOTA challenge uh, and then we used the data set to actually track the accuracy of the person detection and the person tracking model. Um, so we applied the MOTA, uh, the MOT uh, accuracy and uh, precision formulas. Uh, and then we... The MOT we scored challenge is multi-object challenge, Benchmark? Multi-object tracking uh, challenge. Uh, so basically, we apply like the, the industry standards to assess the, the precision and uh, accuracy of the model. But um, the thing that we did a, a bit different was that the actual output that goes to the customer is not actually, you know, uh, frame by frame, the result of the detection or the tracking. What we actually um, send to the customer is uh, the count of people, uh, the distance between people, the time they spent in a zone or, or the entry and exit events in the zone such that they can calculate uh, the dwell time. So basically, we looked at the use cases and we came up with accuracy measures specific to the scenario. Uh, and then we generated ground truth such that we can test holistically not only the tracking part of the algorithm, but the end-to-end -end algorithm between tracking association and applying this logic of like person crossing in and out the zone or person crossing in and out the line. And so did you extend the challenge benchmark to your specific use cases and the higher level uh, metrics that you're providing to customers? Or did you have a separate parallel path that was more reflective of your specific kind of use case specific numbers? 
it's, it's pretty much specific to the use case. So to give you an example, um, you know, for the person entering and entering and exiting the a zone, we looked at the what we call dwell time, which is a fairly use, uh, common use case for what people want to measure. And then we looked at the timestamps for uh, the ground truth. We created ground truth with, by looking at the timestamps of real timestamps of like people uh, entering and exiting the zone. And then we actually created like measures for that particular, you know, the dwell time or the person entering or the person exiting. Uh, it's pretty specific to the scenario, but it helped us to assure that the actual accuracy of the end product, which is what the customer is actually consuming, is at the level that, uh, you know, uh, is satisfying the customer requirement. Mm-hmm. And you know, with these measurements in mind, did you give up a lot going from kind of the huge you know, DNNs to uh, more compact DNNs and changing frame rates and rates and things like that? You know, all these things that you needed to do to deliver a product that worked in kind of the environment that you were looking to do. Did you lose a lot in accuracy for the measurements that you're trying to provide? Um, not really. Actually, the, the goal is to gain in accuracy. So we will not, basically, you have to make trade-offs and then you have to balance. And it's always like a tug of war between accuracy and performance. Uh, but basically working with customers uh, and then, you know, that's why we have this public preview. And before the public preview, we had the private preview. So basically uh, we work closely with a set of customers to actually uh, validate the accuracy of the end-to-end algorithm for their use cases. And, you know, there were some learnings that we took away. And then that's how we arrived by making the right trade-offs such that both uh, the accuracy and the performance and the cost of the end-to-end solutions makes sense. Awesome. Awesome. And you presented on this at Ignite this week uh, when you kind of unveil the, the public stage of release. You know, any takeaways from your presentation or, or the reception to it? So um, it was well received. Um, I would say that, um, you know, you, are, you, you stay so much focused on uh, performance and accuracy. And then uh, the, the feedback that we got was, and it was like fairly strong feedback. For instance, the, the measure between people, we provided only in fit. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, that's not, <laughs> you have to, you know, you have to stay focused uh, on, on, on everything that matters. And then, you know, you, you shouldn't like let, I mean, it wasn't like a, uh, we try to move fast and everything yeah. happened like so fast. And then, you know, this is something that we planned during the pandemic months. And then, you know, the six feet that you hear every day uh, stuck with us. And then we realized that, you know, our customers need, uh, you know, the metric system. So yeah. we had like feedback like that. But then at this point, we are very excited to have the customers try it. And I'm pretty sure that there will be more learnings. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, we'll be sure to link out to the service where folks can find it in the show notes. Um, but thanks so much for taking the time to share with us uh, an update on uh, this new service and, and what you're up to. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Adina. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit TwimmelAI.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.